matter what happens. If you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 17 as we continue to go through the book of Acts. And I know that it's been a long time in the book of Acts. Someone told me the other day, you realize we've been in the book of Acts for a long time? I said, well, like 17 chapters worth. That's how long we've been there. And they said, how long are we going to be in the book of Acts? And I'm like, until chapter 28. That's how, we're gonna, that's how usually it works. Um, but we're hoping it'll speed up a little bit, but it may not. We're going to let the Holy Spirit decide upon that. But what we get to do is today is look in Acts chapter 17 and see how other people respond to the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But not only that, you don't have to look only in Acts chapter 17 to see how people respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, I want you to ask yourself, um, how did you respond the first time you heard the gospel? And, and I know that that's an odd saying for most of us, because most of us, just like Danny shared with you, and then that's my testimony as well, I do not remember the first time someone told me about Jesus. There's no way I could remember that, because it was probably like when I was two days old, or maybe one day old, or even when I was in my mother's womb, did I hear about Jesus, if that was a possibility. I don't know if that's a possibility. So I can't really answer the question, how did you respond to the gospel for the first time you hear, heard it, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that my life has been gospel penetrated. I'm glad I was soaked in it from the morning, the day I was born until today. And I can't, I can't get over the fact how blessed I am because of that. And today, if you're in the same boat as me, I have people tell me all the time, well, I really don't have a testimony because I was raised in church and I got saved as a as a nine-year-old little boy. And, and this. No, you have a testimony. Thank God for that testimony. I'm glad everybody don't stand up here and say, you know what, I was a drunk. Shot people left and right. You know, I kicked people when they were down. Stole from everybody, but then Jesus got a hold of me. I'm glad that's not everybody. I'm glad that those people are getting saved, amen. And some of you are here today, praise the Lord. See how I did that? You know, um, but some of us didn't do that. You know what I'm saying? We didn't go out, and, and, and I, I mean, I did, I did go out a little bit, but not bad. It's actually bad, but not as bad as you know about it. So, uh, you know, it's all right. But we all sinned and came short of the glory of God, right? And we're here because of that. But the question is, can you remember the day that you responded to the gospel? You can remember that day. You can remember the day that you said yes to Jesus Christ. You remember the day that happened in your life today. It may have been a Tuesday like me. It may have been some other day. But you remember that time when Jesus Christ spoke to your heart and you said yes to him. And you know what he was? He was an unknown God. Because you didn't know about him. I have the honor and the privilege of, had, of being able to lead a lot of people to the Lord who had never heard the name of Jesus. They did not know about God. They didn't hear the stories about Jesus their whole entire lives. And when I got to share about Jesus to them for the very first time, it was a privilege. And I'm still blessed today for that. Um, at the end of the service, Judy is going to share with us about um, the possibilities of giving to um, the Operation Christmas Child. And what we do with those shoe boxes that you're going to pack is that we take them and put them in hands of kids who are never going to get a Christmas present, 
But most important is, they don't know what really Christmas is about. And when I ask you, when Judy asks you here in a few minutes about sharing that possibility, I don't want you all just to go out and fill up a Christmas shoebox. Because really, that's just a shoebox filled with stuff. But what I would love for you to do is take your kids or your grandkids or your great-grandkids and, and let them help you fill up that box and explain to them why you're putting what you're putting in that box. How kids don't have to, these things and, and those things. You're not allowed to put toothpaste in them anymore, but we used to put toothpaste in them. Um, now I guess toothpaste blows up people. I don't know what toothpaste does. but um, when, we, when we first gave uh, the boxes out in 90, 1994, I think... I missed one year of Christmas. It started in 93. I didn't start until 94. My first Christmas box I gave out, I put it in the kid's hands, and he opened it up. The first one opened it up. He found toothpaste in it and a toothbrush. And I thought to myself, I was just a young boy at the time. I thought to myself, this is so embarrassing. All these people from America sent all, have all this money and all this stuff, and they sent this kid toothpaste. He's going to be so upset so disappointed when he did that we were in church at the time we were having church he took out the toothpaste and the toothbrush and started brushing his teeth in the middle of church with tears going down his cheeks he said my teeth ain't gonna hurt anymore it just broke me just a kid at the time where I realized people don't have things like I've always had things and I don't really know what people need because I didn't see it. But when you minister to somebody in that way, and in that box is a Bible, God's holy word, and in that box is a guide of the gospel and takes them through the Romans road of how to be saved, not only do they get a toy to play with and maybe tooth, whatever it is else that you're allowed to put in the box, because I don't think you're allowed to put toothpaste anymore, right? They heard my story and stopped that real quick. Um, but... Whatever it is, explain to why you're doing it and how those kids have never seen Jesus, never heard of Jesus, and they, they get to tell about it. Make it a discipleship program to help not only the kid that you're sending it to, but help your own kid as well. See the importance of loving people on the other side of the world. And I got to put these kids, these seven or 800 of them in, a kid, in kids' hands for 10th straight years, and every single one of them was a blessing, and that's why we still do this today, because it means so much. But... Those kids remember the first time they heard the gospel because of those boxes. And I hope and pray you remember the first time you heard the gospel. And what I want to show you today is this. We have, all of us are different. All of us think a different way. All of us do different things. All of us have different opinions and all that stuff. But there's one thing every single one of us have in common. And that's what I want to share with you this morning is that one thing that me and you share in common. We all have been called to repent of our sins. Listen to me. We've all been commanded by God to repent of our sins. How many of us are all of us? All means all, and that is all all means. So all of us have been commanded to repent of our sins. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31. Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31. Sparky, have you found this there? Appreciate it. Acts chapter 17, 
verses 30 and 31 here. I was getting on sparky, and I wasn't even there. Um, verse 31, 30 and 31 says um, this. Let me find it. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked. All right, let me explain what that means. These times of ignorance God overlooked. What happens is Paul is finding himself in the city of Athens, but the city of Athens is just 20,000 people at the time, but it has a, a very um, important university, very famous university. That's where all the philosophies of that time came from. That's where the, it was a center of education for the whole entire Greece, and not only Greece, but most of the known world at that time. So this is a big place who had a lot of wealth and a lot of um, um, things that other countries, other cities did not have. But the Bible says, truly these times of ignorance God has overlooked. So what's God is, what the Lord is speaking of right now, he said, until now, God has overlooked that you have not repented of your sins. God has given you this free life, this, the lovely life that you had until today. But now, listen, but now, look in verse 30, says this, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. But now commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? Why do we need to repent? Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. His name is Jesus. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So what we need to see, we are all commanded to repent of our sins. Why do we need to repent of our sins? Because every single person in the world has ever been born is going to stand before Jesus Christ, the one who has been appointed, anointed, the Messiah, Christ. Everybody's going to stand before him and give reason of the sins that they have committed. The only chance you have, the only chance I have of having our, to be able to make it through that appointed time of judgment is if our sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and that we have repented of our sins. And he has given us assurance of this through the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we are all going to stand before Jesus one day. Preacher, why do you want us to repent? Because what are you going to say when you stand from Jesus? What are you going to say? I, I tried. I did this. I did that. I worked hard. I, I, I went to work. I went to church every now and then. Man, look at what I did. Or are you going to be able to stand in front of Jesus and say, it was all you. I put my faith and my trust in you. And your blood that you poured out upon the cross of Calvary covered me from all my sins. I put my faith. I'm here because of you. I'm here because of what you did for me on the cross of Calvary. You know what? We have an opportunity today to be able to have our sins forgiven. The difference we will have be how we, me and you respond to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What is the only response that we can give today to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? The only response that me and you can give is this, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. It's repentance is the, good, the best response that we can give towards the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today we get a look at three cities and see how these three, three cities respond to the gospel. The very first city we're going to see is Thessalonica. It's Greece's second largest city. 
Um, it is about 200,000 people. Um, and then we're going to travel 43 miles to the west to Berea. Berea is about 20,000 um, people. And then after Berea, we're going to go about 200 miles south, and we're going to see Athens. So you can see kind of where we're going to be there in Macedonia and in Greece at this time um, in Paul's journey. So the first city that we're going to talk about is Thessalonica. Thessalonica, um, some believe, but most will reject the word of God. Read with me verses 1 through 9 in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, Apollonio, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews, who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have came, come here too. Jason has harbored them. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason um, and the rest, they let them go. So the first group of people are the Thessalonians, Thessalonians, and they are, some of them believed, but the Jews rejected the word of God. Thessalonica is located on a busy highway, the Ignatian Highway. This was a huge trade place that come through, so it was a booming city. It was a growing city. They had all the money, all the good stuff that everybody else didn't have. They were the big city to be able to handle. So how is Paul going to approach this big city with the gospel of Jesus Christ? The first thing the Bible says is this. He sat down and reasoned with them. What does it mean to sit down and reason with someone? It's something that we have to realize that we have to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to have a gospel conversation with somebody to be able to explain to them what Jesus Christ has done. And we reason with people. People tell me all the time, you need to preach the gospel every day and use words only if you have to use words. No, you have to use words to preach the gospel. There's no other way to do it unless you know sign language. You have to actually speak those words to tell people about what Jesus Christ has done for them. You can live a good life in front of people. You should live a good life in, in front of people. You are commanded to live a good life in front of people. That's what Jesus says, be holy for I am holy. That's from the Lord Jesus himself. So he wants us to live a life and then to show people that we're living a different life. But the most important thing is this. People got to hear the death, of burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They got to know what Jesus did. And the only way they can know that is if they hear it. They got to be hearers of the word of God. Somebody's got to speak that 
to them today. So we need a question and answer. We need to reason with people about Jesus Christ. But then the second thing happened, he explained them the scriptures. He sat down and he opened up the Old Testament and he read the law to them and so that they could understand about the coming Messiah, Jesus, who was already here with us. So he reasoned with them, he explained the scriptures, but not only that, he proved to them that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. That was his job, was to prove to people that Jesus Christ has resurrected from the grave. That job has not changed today. My job as your pastor, as the preacher behind this pulpit, is to reason with one another, to be able to have gospel conversations, to tell you about Christ, to be able to explain to you scriptures, and to be able to prove to you that Jesus Christ is indeed risen from the grave, that Jesus Christ is indeed the Messiah. That's our job. He preached the death the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. People have asked me all my life, what do you think Paul preached about when he went to all these major cities? I don't have to wonder what Paul preached about when he went to all these major cities. He preached the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus just like we preach today. He didn't have any special sermon to preach of that we do not have. He lifted up Jesus Christ as the Christ, the Messiah the anointed one and that's our job to do and what is the result the result of that is simply this a bunch of Greeks and a bunch of women were saved and I love how he made that situation why did he mention that I don't know but I'm thankful that he did but the Jews did not respond well to the gospel of Jesus Christ they rejected it and you know what they said these who have turned the world upside down have showed up in Thessalonica. They've showed up in our little town now. You know what? I used to be known as someone who would turn up this town upside down. But now when I go visit people, they give me cookies. I got the door slammed in my face this week. And I reacted to it the best way I've ever reacted to a door slammed in my face before. It actually pleased me. Because it's been years since someone slammed a door in my face. And I, I, I walked back to the car and me and Tim and I like, you know what? I think I like that. Because at least someone's being honest with good old flabbergasted Chuck. They didn't want to hear what I had to say. I just slammed the door in my face. Now, I'm not wanting you to slam. You slammed the door in my face. We might fight. No, I'm joking. Um, but I need to understand that people are still rejecting the Word of God. People need Jesus. And when they reject me, they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting the message of Jesus. And we need to be reminded that we're still on the mission field, that people still need Jesus, that people still need to hear the Word of God. And they said, these guys have turned the city upside down. And I'd like to get to the place where people still think that about me. But these guys just, he wants to mess everything up. He's turning everything upside down. I want to change this world for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the glory of the Lord. What was their crime? What did they do wrong that upset Thessalonica and turned it upside down? They said, Jesus is the king. They said... There is another king, and his name is Jesus. It's not Caesar. It's Jesus. That's what made people mad. 
Brothers and sisters in Christ, let me be honest with you. If you make someone mad because you tell them Jesus is king, they need to be mad. Because who else is king? Who else is the Lord of your life if it's not Jesus Christ? We need to proclaim the goodness that Jesus is king. And that's what they did, and they got upset. And what did they do? They, had, they ran Paul and Silas out of town. But sometimes when you get ran out of town, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Because if they didn't get run out of town, it would have, they, he would have never ended up in a place called Berea. Have you ever seen? I, I love going into towns, new towns, and noticing their churches. I, I look where they worship. But Paul did when he walked into all the cities. He, he looked for where people worshiped. I, when I go into a new town, I look in their churches. And if you go into a new town, a bigger town, a medium-sized town, almost promise you there's going to be a Berea Baptist Church. You want to notice that? Berea Baptist Church. And I'm going to show you why these folks have chosen the name Berea Baptist Church. The second, the second city we're going to see is when Paul left Thessalonica at midnight, he had to go to Berea. Listen in, in Acts chapter 17, verses 1, verses 10 through 15. Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 15. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scripture daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also, stirred up the crowd, then immediately the brethren sent away to them away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conduct, conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. Thessalonica, some believed, but most rejected the word. But in Berea, I want you to see something. They received the word. They were open-minded. That's what happened. Um, the Bible says in, in verse 11, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness. And listen what they did. They did. And they searched the scriptures every now and then when they had time and wasn't doing something else to find out whether these things were true. Is that what the Bible says? No. They searched the scripture how often? Daily to see what Paul and Silas was saying was to be the truth. You know what, why, what happened when Paul came and preached the word in Berea? The people in Berea received the word. The Bible says they were open-minded. The world has robbed us from the phrase open-minded. Because right now, if you are open-minded, people do not believe that you believe in the Bible. Or in God, because you're open-minded and you accept everything else. Just because you're open-minded does not mean that you're crazy. Okay? It's not a bad thing to be open-minded. Who should be open-minded? All of us. If the people of Berea would not have been open-minded, they would have rejected Paul when he was preaching the, the good news of the gospel, and they would have kicked him back out just like the Thessalonians kicked him out. But they were open-minded. Our problem is simply this. 
we think that we have to close the Bible to be able to open our mind. But that is not open-mindedness. That is what we call sin. We are to keep the Bible open as well as keep our mind open so the Holy Spirit can work and do that what He wants us to do. You know what? If you're open-minded, does not mean that you've got to believe everything. If you're open-minded, does not believe you've got to do everything and go anywhere. Open-minded means that you're ready to learn. You're ready to see what's coming up. And that's what happens. Seminary never prepared me for what's happening in our world today is what I always thought. Seminary never never told me that me I was going to have to come up against gender fluidity, fluidity or whatever that may be right now. I don't even know how to say it. No one told me that's what was going to come up in the next few days, next few years, and say, hey, Chuck, this is how you're going to handle this when this pops up there. You don't know if a person's a he or she or B or D or, or what they are. You just have to guess. I don't know how you do that. No one prepared me for that is what I thought. But then I remember that actually I was prepared for this because in every single class I had in seminary, they said, there's coming a day where people will be not be lovers of God's word, but lovers of themselves. Coming a day where people will no longer believe what the Bible says, but they'll believe what other thing other people tell them. You know what? I was prepared for this day. Because why we're in the mess that we're in today is that we've closed our Bibles and we've opened our minds. We need to keep our minds open, but keep our Bibles open. And we need to be in those, how often? Daily. Searching the scripture and seeing what God would have for us to do and believe. And that's what happened in Berea. And they wanted to see if Paul and Silas were preaching the truth. Guys, I, I beg you. When you leave here today, jump right in the middle of, in, of Acts chapter 17 and get deep in there and, and find out everything I said, if it was right or wrong. That's your job. Let's look in there. And if I make a mistake, um, come back and I'll argue you with you about it. No, I'm joking. I won't. I probably will. But that's just who I am. Um, but we'll figure it out something. You know what I'm saying? Um, don't say God has been silent when you've never opened your Bible. If you want to hear God speak out loud, open your Bible and read it out loud. God's speaking. To us today, we just need to listen to him right now. Many of the Jews and the Greeks believed in Jesus, but then the Thessalonians heard about it, and so they started messing things up again. There's always going to be people who stop you from hearing the word of God. And when you get excited about Jesus, there's somebody wanting to throw water on you to put that flame out. That's how the devil works. That's what happens. And you've got to stay in the middle of God's word and not let that happen. So the Thessalonians, most of them rejected it. The Bereans, that he got sent to Berea, they most of them accepted it. But now he's going south into Athens, and it's going to be a special place when he gets down there in, the, in Athens because they are going to ridicule the Word of God. Read with me in verses 16 through 21. Verses 16 through 21. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens... His spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, 
He reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the Gentiles worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him and some said, what does this blabber want to say? Others said he seems to be proclaiming a foreign, proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and saying, Many we know that with this new doctrine is of, of which you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were in the, their spent time in northern in, in time in nothing else but either to tell or hear something new. So the third group we see in Athens, we see that Paul arrived at this city as a, not a sightseer, but Paul arrived at this city as a soul winner. It's a mistake I found myself in and unbelievable many times. I've had the privilege of being in almost every city in Europe. And unfortunately, something that I've repented of, I found myself in those cities as a sightseer instead of a soul winner. Even though Athens was beautiful, had, famous, had a famous university, had the beautiful buildings of old, had all those things, when he went there, Paul started looking for their places of worship. He started seeing how they are worshiping and who they are worshiping because he knew that this city had been turned over to idols, that they were worshiping pagan gods. And he was not there to sightsee, but he was there to win souls for Christ. I'm not saying you should never go on vacation, you should never sightsee, no. But what I say is this, Lord, make us a soul winner. Put in our hearts desire to be able to notice that people don't know Jesus and they need to know him. Louisa, Kentucky, Fort Gay, West Virginia does not need another sightseer. Sorry, Wes. That's Lawrence County Tourism. We need a few of those. I'm, we do need a few. But we need to tell them about Jesus when they get here. But what we do need is another soul winner to tell people how they can believe upon Jesus, upon Jesus Christ. What did, how did they respond when Paul reasoned with them? What is this blabbermouth saying? I know many of you today have that question as well. What's he doing? What's he saying? He's pushing another foreign God on us. And they mocked him. The Bible says this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. When someone mocks God or your belief in God, Please do not get upset at them. Please don't get angry at them. Because their city has been turned over to pagan gods, to idols. They do not need someone angry at them. They do not need someone mad at them. That's all they ever see. When someone mocks your God, mocks your faith, love that person. Anybody can love someone who loves them. 
But who is able to love someone who hurts them, mocks them, makes fun of them? The only way you can do that is by the love of Jesus Christ. And when someone mocks you, don't be mad. But realize that you have a mission to love that person, allow them to see who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for them. Athens had two major philosophies. And I know many people today tell you that the Bible is irrelevant and it does not mean anything. But the Bible pointed out in Acts chapter 17 two major philosophies in the city of Athens. And I want to share something with you. You're going to see that those two major philosophies still exist today. Why? Because the Bible is a two-edged sword. It cuts both going and coming, and it is, is real. The Bible is alive. And you're going to see those two, two philosophies that existed in Athens 2,000 years ago is still what exists today. The very first philosophy was Epicureanism. And we see Epicureanism is this, the pursuit of pleasure and the love of fine living. Epicurus says this, life is good, make sure to enjoy it. Aren't you glad that that's not a part of American society today? You know what? About half of America have this philosophy. Life's good, enjoy it. That's what is. Eat and be what? Glad and merry. Be happy. That, that's, that's the philosophy, the Epicurean philosophy that we still um, find today. If you're in Europe and you see a restaurant that's called Epicurean, eat there because it's really expensive and good. Because that's fine little dining is what that is. That's what's happening. The second philosophy is Stoics. And you can understand that because we still use that word today. It sounds very familiar. Stoic means this. Pleasure is not good and pain is not evil. Pleasure, not good. Pain, good. You know who those people are? Those are the people who think there's no limits to fitness. You know what I mean? Uh, no pain, no gain. You guys are out there. I know who you are, right? Uh, that, that's who we are. No pain, no gain. Do you think we still have that? Pleasure was not good. The pain was not evil. The most important thing in life is to be self-sufficient and unmovable. That's a stoic. As long as you're taking care of yourself and you're independent and you're not movable, you stand strong, you're all right. You're going to be okay. Isn't it amazing that 2,000 years later we still have the two same philosophies that are in America today that were in Athens? Same thing. Nothing has changed whatsoever. The Epicureans say, enjoy life. The Stoics say, endure life. But Paul preached how they could have life by believing in Jesus. Just because someone's an Epicurean doesn't mean they need Jesus. They need Jesus. Just because you're a Stoic don't mean you don't need Jesus. They need Jesus. Paul's standing in the middle of those two philosophies saying, what you need is life. And life comes from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul preached how they could believe, have life by believing in Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 5, um, verse 12 simply says this. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Period. 
That's how it is. That's what's going to happen. Paul's job's not easy. Uh, my job's not easy. Your job's not easy. Some people reject him. Some people say, hey, let's listen to it a little bit later. Let's hear a little bit more. Some believed in Jesus Christ. Same thing happens today after so many years. Really, there's two ways to respond to the unknown God, and this is it. Believe it or not. Either you can believe in Jesus or you don't believe in Jesus. And unfortunately, this room is filled with everybody in this room, everybody listening online or wherever you may be. You're in two different places right now. You either believe in Jesus or you don't believe in Jesus. You know what? I love both of you. And I hope you love me. But if you don't believe in Jesus, man, do we have a message for you. That today is the day of salvation. That each and every one of us have been commanded by God to repent of our sins. The Bible says in John 3, 36, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. We've all been commanded to repent. Repentance is as much a commandment of God as thou shalt not steal. Com repentance is a commandment of God as much as thou shalt not kill. A commandment of repentance is for all of us today to repent of our sins and turn away from our wicked ways to Jesus Christ. Do not delay your repentance. Don't put it off. The Bible says in Psalms 95, verses 7 and 8, For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. Today, listen, today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't put it off. Don't delay. Now, today is the day of salvation. I've had people tell me, I, I, I'll do that later. That's what you said last time. And next time, what are you going to say? I, I, I'll do that later. I, I don't want to do that now. I, I want to do that later. Today, today is the day of salvation. Paul preached the gospel in Thessalonica, in Berea, and in Athens. And everybody responded differently. Unfortunately, as we preach the gospel today, all of us are going to respond differently. An unbeliever may say, I hear you but I'm not yet ready. Some, man, some said, you know, what's that babbling idiot talking about? I ain't paying attention to that stuff. He's just saying something he's always said. No, I'm paying attention. Maybe you're thinking about something else or whatever. I'm hoping I get done here pretty soon, which I am. But then some people say, you know what? I've sinned. I've made mistakes. This loving God has provided a way for me to be forgiven. And yes, I do want to believe. 
and repent of my sins. And then there's some believers in the room. Because a lot of you all are saying, well, you're preaching to the choir. Have you ever heard anybody say that, you're preaching to the choir? Let me say something to you. The choir needs preached to. Because the Bible says all men are commanded to repent. Does that leave out the choir? No. The choir needs to repent. You know why we're in the mess today that we're in in America? It's because the choir ain't repenting. The choir's still singing the same old song, still doing the same old thing, and they're far away from God. The church needs to repent of their sins. The repenters are called to repent. And we need to ask God to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All men, all men are commanded by God to repent because one day you're going to stand and I'm going to stand in front of Jesus Christ and give account for how we lived. I want to be able to stand up and say, I'm here because of you, Jesus. I'm here because of what you did for me on the cross of Calvary. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to repent. Lord God, we ask right now that you would work on our hearts and that what we would want to do is receive your word. As an unbeliever, I pray that they don't try to procrastinate and say, we'll do that next time. But may, Lord, today they give their life to you. Lord, I pray for the believer. Lord, I pray that they would realize the need of repentance in their life and say, yes, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And may we be back in fellowship with you today, walking with our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' precious name we do pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this invitation, a time to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This altar is open. I'll pray with you, whatever you need to be. We want to be able to make it right with God today. Oh, to Jesus Are you where y'all? Y'all come on up. Come on up here. Mom and Dad, come with you. You want to? He's young man, and Chris, uh, he's not a young man anymore. He's old man. <laughs> How old are you, Chris? 25 years old. A um, little bit. If you all heard Chris yesterday, he was up on the side of the hill motocrossing, right? Third place. Amen. And that's good if you don't know. <laughs> it is. But we're thankful. But they come to 
um, they accepted Christ as their personal Savior, and they came um, to come along beside of our church and join our church and then be followed up in baptism. So what's the heart of this church for these young men to be able to follow together in baptism and be a part of our church? Everybody say amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Um, normally what we would do is go ahead and dismiss them to uh, get, have baptism, but we're going to do something different today. I would love one day, maybe next time we'll do this, I would love to be able to take the Lord's Supper in the sanctuary after we do the baptism because that's, that's just really nice. But if it's okay with the church, we're going to go ahead and do the Lord's Supper first because we know you guys and most of you are going to go eat. Ain't it bad that we know everybody's heart already? You know, we just know that. And you won't, but next time I'm just going to warn you, okay, um, when we're going to do the baptism, the Lord's Supper out there, so that after the baptism, we can take the Lord's Supper together because I just think that works out awesome. But it's going to work out great today. So we're going to go ahead and give these guys a benefit and say we're going to give them the Lord's Supper before they get baptized, but it's going to be like seconds.